0: What's up everyone and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. We are closing out 2022 here at TCB with a banger. This is hands down one of my favorite episodes of the year. So grab onto those handles above your seat and hang on because we've got Carla Fowler on the program today. If you don't know Carla, this is a holiday gift for you because she kind of rules. She's an MD-PhD with a passion for performance science. She's the founder of Thaxa Executive Coaching and uses her secret sauce performance science formula to help organizations from startups to the Fortune 50. She's a graduate of Brown University, got her MD-PhD at the University of Washington and completed her surgical residency at Stanford. She's an amazing person. Her approach is new, different, and fills a gap in the executive coaching space that is unique. This conversation was a blast, and I think you're going to dig it. So buckle up, TC Beers, grab your favorite cocktail, and let's get right on into it with Carla Fowler on today's TCB.
1: Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender, where we gather some of the best HR and people leaders to discuss what's happening on the people side of business. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender.
0: All right. Well, let's get on into it, everybody. It is Wednesday. It's your favorite day and my favorite day. It's Corporate Bartender Day. It is the 14th of December, 2022, and this is episode number 152. I say it every time. Holy cow, it's December. Christmas is coming up really quick. Ruby and I were in Washington, DC last week, so Lori was on her own. Thank you, Lori, for covering for my absence. Um, Ruby and I were setting up for a workshop in, in DC and I had the music going and it was the Christmas cocktail jazz list from Spotify that you just heard in the background. And Ruby gives me this kind of annoyed look and she's like, why are you playing Christmas music?
1: not a fan anyway but
0: yeah and i was like uh have you looked at the calendar lately she's like like, i haven't done anything (laughs) which made me feel better because i had done very little things so i felt really accomplished in that moment (laughs) oh today's gonna be a fun day we've got a guest you can see the strange person in your In your Brady Bunch view here, Dr. Carla Fowler. She's an MD, PhD, elite executive coach. And for the last decade or so, she has been a secret weapon for a ton of CEOs, entrepreneurs and other senior leaders. What's her angle, you ask? Mm -hmm. Performance science. She combines the latest research from performance science with timeless best practices to help top performers level up and achieve their uh, goals. Spoiler alert, she might be something of what we might call an overachiever. <laughs> she, uh, she graduated from Brown University, magna cum laude. She earned her MD and PhD at UW and she completed her internship for surgery at Stanford. So not slacky schools. She's, <laughs> she's kind of killing it here. So. Carla's going to talk to us about performance science. What is it? How do we use it in, in our, in our jobs at work? How do we use it to help improve ourselves? So let's give Carla a big TCB. Welcome everybody, shall we? Welcome Carla. Thanks Eric. Good to see you. We're going to get into a conversation with her, but first I have to pimp my book. Please tell your (laughs) friends, buy the book. We're, we're into holiday gift giving mode and it makes a fantastic holiday gift, I, I I promise. There we go. So if you have if you have not bought one, uh, buy one. If you have bought one, buy one for a friend, buy one for your team, buy one for somebody that you don't like. That's fine too. <laughs> um, we've got some guests upcoming. Uh, Thais Gibson is gonna be with us. We're in the midst of rescheduling that. She was supposed to join us a couple of weeks ago and we had to reschedule. We've got our first 2023 guest. Um, Dr. Corey Rosen, he's on the 18th of January. He's the author of Ownership Reinventing Companies Capitalism and Who Owns What. That seems like that will be a pretty fun conversation as well. (laughs) Um, As always, we start with a little news item. And today, this one grabbed me, it came out in HBR just a couple of days ago. And uh, it's on mindfulness. And, you know, we've talked a lot about that here and like motherhood apple pie and rock and roll it seems like a good thing but apparently um some new studies are coming out saying it's not always the best thing because it's not a one size fits all topic right i mean it's one of those one of those things that seems good at its core in all circumstances and there's a slight angle that is popping out in in research Depending on the type of mindfulness meditation practices you choose. So, generally speaking, mindfulness is a great way to reduce stress and improve well being. Um, but there are essentially two camps, and there were a couple of different studies that are referenced in this article. One, uh, the first one was with IT consultants and call centers in India and the US. And this is the sort of upside story they found that workers who meditated in the morning were more attentive and helpful to their coworkers and customers throughout the day. And basically any sort of meditation made them a little bit more helpful, but it really depended on what they used to the degree that it was, it was effective. So there are two types, breath based meditation where you focus on your breath and breathing. Um, Those seem to help people better understand other perspectives cognitively. And then there's loving kindness meditation where you imagine sending kindness and goodwill to others. I call that the good juju. Um, And that made people more able to feel what others were experiencing, boosting empathy. So I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. So one is cognitive and one is more empathetic, but then there was another study um, of over 1400 online gig workers. And what they learned with that one was breath focused meditation practices may do more harm than good. So the loving kindness bucket of meditative practices shift your focus to other people and generally increase your feelings of empathy toward other people. And breathing meditation is focusing on yourself. And what they learned was that effectively reduces guilt, thus decreasing motivation to make amends for past wrongs and or ability to, or willingness to feel empathy for other people. Ruby's shaking her head. Yeah, what, no. what are you... <laughs> Ruby, you're not buying it? <laughs> you're not buying it or does it just make you sad?
2: Not buying it.
0: <laughs> hey, the unskeptical
2: so... person is skeptical of this one. Wow.
0: <laughs> so I figured, you know, we've got a scientist in the house. We would just ask Dr. Carla Fowler what she thinks <laughs> about this. We talked a little bit about it in the pre-show. Um, Carla, what's your take here on this, this article?
2: You know, I, I think it probably points out just to like go to that, to the skepticism is that there's a lot of this is, is really hard to measure. (laughs) So that is that number one. Um, I think my take as I'm just like thinking about what I know and is that a lot of times you need to think about like, what's the context you're using something in and maybe what would be most helpful, and so of course I know headlines are meant to make make us click on something. Right. Um,
0: <laughs> I even at think,
2: HBR, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I I think a lot of kinds of meditation and even the different effects they saw from these different things are really useful. Like because it's kind mm. of saying, well, where are we putting our attention, and that whatever we're paying attention to really kind of grows for us. And so to me, it just says like ah, mindfulness is awesome. And it is more versatile than we thought it was not that it doesn't work. And so my thought was like, I don't know. Have you ever met people who their struggle is not with empathy? Like, for example, they're very empathetic. In fact, maybe the problem is like, they're feeling like, oh man, I got to like, I got to really help everybody. And everyone's having Mm -hmm. so many problems or man, I feel I really need some time for myself, but I don't, um, you know, but uh, a friend just called or colleague called and they really need help with a thing. And so this thought of like being able to care for your own needs isn't a selfish thing, but it strikes me that in that circumstance, like focusing on your breath, thinking about yourself, your own kind of, um, care and what you need might be really strengthening for people who are finding themselves in that situation. I don't know. So that's what I was thinking about was like, nah, mindfulness is awesome and versatile.
0: I just love yeah. I just love your flip on the headline, right? I mean, <laughs> I would be more inclined to click on the on the the positive, encouraging headline, um, but this one intrigued me, and I thought, just like Ruby with the skepticism, I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't work? Come on, yeah. let's see what this says.
3: Well, it's it, because it made me think, Carla, when you were talking about that, we we talk a lot because it's a recurring theme about boundaries and yes. that. Boundaries are not selfish, they're critical for being able to care for other people. And so that's what I always think about in terms of when I think of mindfulness, some of it is that like loving kindness and compassion focused um, work, but it's also about getting centered in yourself and what you need so that you can be healthy in the way you're trying to help and right and not not being you know run over by your empathy because <laughs> that totally. that can totally
2: this mm-hmm. is the empathy steamroller <laughs> yeah yeah
3: yes. it's like i don't know that i'm meant to be a flat little um, um, <laughs> sideline here to everyone else's pain <laughs> so yeah
0: I love it. And and it's funny. So Carla, just so you know, we we do push on some of that skepticism. We've sort of reframed quiet quitting around here as healthy boundaries.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think I heard that. I was listening to one of your other shows. I think I <laughs> came
0: up. It was awesome.
3: <laughs> you're, you're like, wait, I'm not going to be a victim to an 80-hour work week anymore? Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. L- last week when 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 Twitter turned some of their empty offices into makeshift hotel rooms so that overworked employees could just sleep there. I thought, that is not healthy, man. That is not healthy boundaries. And then I I read that the city of San Francisco code was violations. investigating them for violating
2: code. <laughs> I'm just laughing because I remember the day I got the tour for my internship at Stanford for like a general surgery residency and they're like, here's the room where we have Google nap pods. You guys know what you know what these are, They're, yeah? Okay, I will tell you. I never saw the inside of one of those Snap pods. Never.
0: Yeah, because there's yeah. a lot of time for residents to sleep. Oh goodness! <laughs> Anyways,
2: that's what I'm reminded of. Yeah, uh,
0: I love it. Well, Carla, welcome to the program. We are so happy to have you here. Um, As we mentioned in the open, right? MD PhD, elite executive coach focused on performance science. Um, You run a coaching practice. Yeah. Called Thaxa.
2: Yes.
3: Is that how
0: you say it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. So we want to know all about performance science. What does it mean? How do we use it? How did you find yourself doing this work? So that's where we start. Tell us a little bit about your story, your backstory, how you got here. I don't imagine that when you were, but a child, you dreamed of being on this program one day and being a subject matter expert in the area of performance science.
2: No, but I probably should have dreamed on being on this program because it's pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, I no, I did not. I didn't even dream of being a doctor. Um, I think the honest truth is that the the thing that has always gotten me sort of uh, where I've gone has been I'm I love learning things and I really like challenges. Like mm-hmm. I really like figuring out if I can do something hard when I when I see it, um, and I think a piece of that was just this thought of like, well, I feel better when I feel capable, and apparently mm-hmm. I needed to like prove it to myself that I could do something before I would say, okay, I can do that thing.
0: Um, so-, so let me pause you because I heard I was listening to some of your other appearances in prep, and I heard you tell a story, and I think it would be fun for you to tell the story here. Um, <laughs> okay. That when you were when you were but a child you were uh, doing some self-imposed training for the presidential fitne- f- physical fitness test. Oh, yes.
2: <laughs> so, Is that something, are you familiar with that?
0: Oh, yeah. yeah I okay. mean, <laughs> and, and from what I remember, I think you were describing the shuttle run, right? Where you run yes. back and forth with the, with bean, the bean bags. bags. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So oh, okay. tell us what you I did. I tell the story. How old you were. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, I'm seeing clapping, which makes me think other people remember this, like fifth grade tortured advice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I grew up right by my elementary school. So I was able to like walk back and forth. And I think fifth grade is like the earliest that I remember thinking like, oh, there's like this thing that has a measurement and I, and an award associated with it. Like, I don't want to meet the mark. And I was totally stumped by the shuttle run. I mean, like the hanging was really hard. There was an all out sprint. That was pretty straightforward. There was like reach and touch your toes. So like many things were straightforward uh, because I was kind of an active kid, but like the changing directions, like I just was like, this is not working. And so I was like, okay, I guess I need to go up and practice. And I was right by the park. I mean, we lived right by the school. So I had the parking lot, like with the lines, like all set out. And so I got like sticks out of the playground and used those instead (laughs) of beanbags and like just kind of did it until I figured out how you had to sort of start slowing down before you hit the lines. You like just put your foot on the line and then could like change directions quickly. And I sorted it. Uh, that is the story. That's I'm awesome. Kind of jerky, so- <laughs> but I got a, a signed letter. I think Bill Clinton signed it. I, I don't know. Anyways,
0: <laughs> you got the I little patch with the eagle on it.
2: Yes, eagle patch. Mm-hmm. And later, I think there was a pin. <laughs> Maybe the second year there was a pin.
0: Oh my <laughs> Anyways, well,
3: I, I have what- such I have such envy for for people whose minds work that way, even from the time they were a child, to be like, I need to crack this nut. Because <laughs> I'm more in the vein of like. Eh.
0: Yeah. Ruby said in chat, definitely didn't train for that test, unless you count watching lots of TV and drinking (laughs) Kool-Aid. So Carla, that takes us to fifth grade where you're now, you're already into getting into the granularity of high performance on your own as a fifth grader. So from there, where did you go?
2: (laughs) All right. So yes, many, many years later. Um, I, well, I think I, this point that uh, lori brought up about like liking to figure things out or looking at things and saying how do you figure that out i think has always been a piece of it i liked this idea of like things are solvable you know like Mm -hmm. i might not know how to solve them but they're solvable and like when you have that perspective like that mindset like so much opens up to you and um so i think that's why i liked math and science Mm -hmm. i was like i don't understand how english and history work i'm not sure I'm just gonna stay out of that. And so (laughs) I ended up, um, but I really like people and I was always really socially inclined. I was always kind of looking around, seeing like, well, what is everybody else doing? Like, how are they good at that thing? Why are they good at that thing? Mm. Uh, My husband made a joke at the lunch table today, I was like eating some takeout that I had like remastered. And he was, and I was like, this, this takeout, these noodles are so good because, and then I was like listing off all the things about the noodles of like why it works. And I am not a foodie. I'm like, not a, I'm not a chefy person. And he's like, he's like, you're trying to say like why this noodle
0: dish is high performing, are you? <laughs> yes. He's like, do you ever turn it off, Carla? <laughs>
2: Basically, no, no, I don't. <laughs> And, um, but in a really positive way, like it's, it's, it's all about like, oh, what's working about that thing. I love That's um, what I love. That's what I yes. love. Yeah. And, um, it's not like, cause you could imagine, oh goodness, like walking around saying what's wrong with everything all the time would be a really crappy way to be. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm really
0: good friends with that guy. Man, oh. <laughs> it's, a, it's exhausting just talking to him.
2: So, um, so like fast forward, I like people, I like math, I like science. I'm like, okay, I think a doctor would be a good thing to do. Like, there's a lot of the things I like in that. So I like work on that. I have a friend who tells me, Hey, Carla, did you know that they actually have these dual degree programs? I'm like, no, tell me more. And they're like, well, (laughs) they pay for you to go and they pay you money while you go and you have to get two degrees. But when you're done, like you have no debt and um, you have a science degree and you have an MD. And I thought. That is so good for so many reasons um, because I really like combining disciplines. So I've mm-hmm. always thought um, that when you get two people who are experts at different things in a room together, and if they're empathetic, if they can actually kind of communicate and be curious about each other, that you can learn so much. And I think a lot of our innovations come from that. So I so d-
0: uh, dual degree program, you thought the- there's a lot of upside here, right? And they're going to pay me and I don't have any debt. Did you consider how hard it
2: might be? <laughs> I I actually thought like, well, I'll figure that out. I mean, and I know I'm not I know I'm not normal in that regard. <laughs> I think I think the part that worried me the most was like, well, they're gonna pay me. I have a job. That problem is solved. solved. Everything else is like is figure outable. Like <laughs> I will I will not be unemployed. Um so,
0: and, and the flow yeah. of that program was interesting too. How did how did that work?
2: Oh, it's like a double stuff Oreo. So you have like two years of med school, then they drag you out, you go into a lab, which is nothing like med school, and, and you do a PhD and you have to do unstructured problem solving. And then they throw you back. So that's like four or five years, then they throw you back into med school for two years. And, wow. um and you are totally out of your element. You've been gone from med school. It was the worst. Oh, wow. <laughs> I can tell you, but So you go back into your clinical years. You're in a hospital, actually trying to sort of. You're a med student, so you're not like treating the patients, but you kind of follow along. And um, so that's how the program is set up. But I think I don't want (laughs) to. I don't want to take everyone's time too much on this story. But we basically (laughs) like finished that. I I went into surgery with the idea of like combining then um, being a surgeon, and I did that because again, like I really like understanding like how do you have to think in really high performing environments like where the stakes are high how do people do that and one of the places that i really saw that happening was like with surgeons because it's so binary what you're doing like you're going to cut someone open or you're not and Mm -hmm. um based on that decision like and deciding to not operate is as much a decision as deciding yeah. to operate. And I mean, this comes up all the time, I think, in our workplaces. Like, I know we're talking about medicine right now, but yeah. I think all of us probably can think of times where we're like, there's an important decision and um, ignoring the decision is a decision. Um, right. So um, I really liked how surgeons thought and I saw that they were people who really had to like, see their choice, own their choice, and then improve their choice, like take responsibility if it didn't go well. And yeah. um. And I think that is a characteristic that comes up like in good leaders a lot. So now like bringing this kind of like, let's take this out of medicine, um, and really into saying, yeah, that's something that can be really important, um, in leadership for teams, um, and, and a skill that we learn and develop as we're trying to like develop people through their careers. How can we help them like see and own and ultimately like improve, um, Yeah. The choices they're making, how they're thinking about
0: things. So, so, so you were in surgical residency and you decided to not do that. What was the pivot out of medicine for you and into something
1: else?
2: You know, I think a big piece of it, and I I don't know if this will resonate, but I think a lot about how do you get great performance out of people, like real people, we're not robots. And Mm -hmm. um, there was so much, that was really challenging in the medical system about how to do that. And the truth is, I think um, this has maybe come about even more broadly during the pandemic, as we see like all the burnout, everything people are are doing, you know, the back-to-back-to-back meetings, like the physical hardship literally of sitting in front of a computer for yeah. that long, like looking at a camera. Um, I, I think the short story is that there were lots of things that were fascinating about it, but there was also a lot that was um, constraining enough and where I saw that there was over-focus on one piece of performance, like the, um, you know, the actual technique, you know, some of the medical parts sure. and very little attention paid and really little resources for, you know, how do you get great performance out of human beings? Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, it is not like having no sleep, um, having teams where kind of hier- hierarchically like people people were not very empathetic to each other. Mm. Uh, I did not see, I think a lot of empathy gets, I think a lot of people come in empathetic, but I could see that like what I might be 10 years down the
0: road, the system beats it out of them.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I thought for me to practice medicine, the way I want to practice medicine, I will burn myself out. Like I will be a little ash pile (laughs) at the end. And, um, and that, I mean, and that was a hard thing. I loved working with patients. Like my team often was like, Ooh, the family's upset. Send Carla in there.
0: Like,
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm, like this, I'm like the smallest person
0: <laughs> on the team.
2: I am the youngest, least experienced. And they're like, Oh, we send Carla in to talk to the family. <laughs> so, And I was like, okay, enough of that. <laughs> um, no, I, it was a very difficult decision. And, um, But I think we have to say, what is going to most develop our strengths and our skills and where can we apply those in the best way? And it became very clear to me that I loved high performance. That wasn't going away. Um, I loved working with people. And I really liked applying stuff so everyone can use it, Um, not being an academic. And so I know for all the education, it is, maybe it's ironic, but I'm like, "Ah, I don't want to be there. Like, that was really good training for me. And- I really want to work with people and do stuff in the real world. So that was the beginning of that pivot.
0: Fantastic. So we've learned a little bit about your mindset and your focus and some of your proclivities around math and science and (laughs) this bias towards high performance dating back to shuttle run practice in fifth grade. You have landed in this space called performance science. That sounds awesome. What is it? (laughs)
2: So I, it is, I would call it a multidisciplinary field that more or less gets ideas from like the business schools and thinkers about strategy and psychology and also like the productivity movement. Um, anyone who's come up with like this time hack or this thing, um, make all your lunches on Monday. I don't know, you know, all of those things (laughs) kind of contribute. So it's got a lot of range. Um, And, but I think of it as all the ideas that contribute to towards how we as human beings do our best work, Mm -hmm. um, how we improve, how we can get the most impact from basically like the time and energy and bandwidth we have to give. And so, um, that's how I think about it broadly, but I really, to make it make more sense to my clients. And also when I'm talking about it in my mind, I think about it in three big buckets. Okay. So I think there are ideas related to strategy and the idea of prioritizing, um, of saying, what are really of all the things we could be doing on whatever it is we're working on, like what is really most important? um, What's going to give us the biggest, most potent impact? Um, So that's strategy. I think there is a lot of good ideas about execution. And within execution, I think we've got the productivity movement, um, which is a little bit like how do we get like more things in smaller amounts of time
0: <laughs> with less so, budget?
2: <laughs> I am a little snarky about the productivity movement. I I'll be honest about that. <laughs> um, and then I think, uh, the last bucket I really think about as mindset, which is mm-hmm. kind of that part relating back to psychology. And, um, that's really this thought that, uh, how we, the lenses that we're looking through in our brain. Um, I mean, we just talked about one, like in my, in, uh, mindfulness practice, like depending on the lens you put in, you can get really different results, both of which right. are useful. We have determined, right. <laughs> um, but so mindset is like kind of that third bucket, um, kind of the psychological implications. How do we motivate a team? How do we have people feel engaged? A lot of that I, um, can relate back to mindset. So right. that's how I think of it like broadly and how i organize it
0: in my head that's fantastic um the concept has been intriguing to me since since i learned who you were and what you're doing um mindset is is such an important thing and it's funny every time somebody says it, i just i can't help myself but think about the carol dweck book that everybody Mm -hmm. read a few years ago um and this notion of a growth mindset and you know we we do coaching here at sky team and I've worked with a lot of, a lot of leaders who struggle with the growth mindset. They, the things that they did to be successful are the only patterns that they're willing to, to engage with, Mm -hmm. um, until there's some sort of transformational pivot point. Right. Um, so mindset is, is hugely, hugely important. Um, when you're thinking about these, these three big buckets and, and the way that you organize performance science, you know, if thinking about, about our community here at the bartender how can we bake those concepts into what we do at work
2: so I it's a great question and I often think about within those buckets that I find there's three really useful more specific principles and I think they do relate back to some things so um thinking about like avoiding burnout for teams um, also thinking about uh, engagement like what helps, Um, employees feel engaged. um, And then also thinking about like development. So what Mm -hmm. are kind of the growth curves that make that I think relates very much to engagement. Obviously, these things are all intertwined. (laughs) Um, So I think the first principle that I like to think about um, is called brutal focus. And The word brutal is in front of it because I think everything one thinks right now that they are focused and that there is a lot of clarity (laughs) and actually often there still isn't. (laughs) And so I I put the qualifier brutal in front because uh, I find that if it's not a little painful, you might not be focused enough. Like if you haven't had a real strong sense of FOMO, like when you, when you've said, okay, I guess we're not going to do that thing. We're not going to do that thing. And we're going to bet instead on these things that we're going to really invest in. Um, if you're not feeling a little bit of pain, then you may have let too many things like be on Mm. the boat, like with you as you're going. Um, so brutal focus to me is Ask is having clarity on two questions. And as I'm thinking about how this comes into work and into your work, I'm thinking number one, uh, I have to imagine like uh, just based on what I've read um, and our talk ahead of time, it's like for you as professionals, these are important for you to ask yourself or like for the teams you lead. But I think they're also really helpful questions to give to leaders and to help leaders think about how are they working with their teams? Um, they're also great for the individual team members. So for not for the, for the leader to do for their team and for the team members to ask themselves about their own careers and like what, what they want. So first question is, what do you want to accomplish? Um, and that has so many layers because I think individuals, we have an answer of like, what do I want? But Mm -hmm. often we don't let ourselves spend much time thinking about it. Or we mm-hmm. kind of asked the question and then we're like, oh yeah, but you can't want that because that's really not feasible. And, or <laughs> like, or, well, like I should want that.
0: Yes. Yeah. All those things we're supposed to want. Mm-hmm. The, and the societal norms and obligations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then there's always the snarky answer of like, yeah, it's nice to want things, which is something we, <laughs> <laughs> something we say to each other.
0: This is why we can't have nice things, Carla. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, so, but it's a really important question to ask. And I think particularly as we are like coming out of a really hard three years, um, both for the leaders, for employees, like, and for ourselves, um, asking that question and practicing asking the question, because I, I haven't found that it's easy to just ask on a Tuesday, like, what do I want? And then my answer is like, great. Well, that that's got me laid out for the next 20 years. So, um, the second question is, Okay like once I have some clarity on like, what do I want, um, is to ask that question of what is really most important for that? Like what are really the drivers of that? And the reason, so this plays out in a couple of different ways, but I can use the example of like a leader with their team. So this might be you guys with your teams. Um, but it also can be helping leaders understand how to help their teams thrive and be engaged. And I find that a lot of it comes back to clarity. Mm-hmm. So, um, like we often think like, oh, we need to motivate them. Like we need to this, we need to that. And I think clarity is one of the like most like undervalued uh, like principles of a leader. And I will tell you like some of the best leaders that I learned from, I'll tell you, their EQ might not have been the highest, <laughs> um, but <What>? they had <laughs> great clarity. And because of that, like they helped me understand how am I gonna win at this game? like, mm-hmm. how can I develop myself? How can I really contribute and excel? And so what I I have this story of a nonprofit director I worked with, and I was working with him one-on-one and we built a framework for him around those two questions. So both that like, okay, what do you really want? Like for your team, what do you want to have happen. And what's, what's the goal. But often when you say goal, like sometimes some people have mm-hmm. bad experiences with goals. So I just like the question, like, what do you want? Let's put that in as plain of language as we can. And let's try and take out really ambiguous qualifiers and put in like, if there's a number, we'll put in a number. If there's just a more specific adjective that you can use, we're going to use a more specific adjective. Um, so we built that and then we, uh, talked a lot and figured out what some of the priorities were. And he took that framework back to his team. And I didn't know he was going to do this, but he came back and he was like, Carla, he's like something magical (laughs) happened. (laughs) Magical. (laughs) I mean, well, I I was really surprised because I had nothing to do with the team. I don't go into his workplace. Like I just literally work with him one-on-one. And he was like, I showed the framework to the team and everyone was like, Oh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then they were like, that's my priority. Like that's me right there. Like my job is like, I'm delivering that for the team. And then like, so people got really motivated and sometimes mm. you say, well, you just need to motivate your team, like encourage them, do this and this. And so this is this amazing example of what was motivating was mm-hmm. clarity about where are we going and what's really most important and what can you contribute to that and why do you matter? Mm-hmm. And um, and so then his team actually took their own, like took their priority that they were a part of and wanted to make their own frameworks. And so he, he did huh. some work with them to do Love that. It. And so it's just this example of where... Focus or clarity on those two questions, and it's a process. Like you don't always get the right answer, or and like the answer has to evolve. Is my point, and sure. that's okay. But really, working on that has a tremendous impact on teams. Is something so done. we
3: we talk about that all the time. We'll be working with leaders. So I have a, a HR team and business uh, HR business partners that are integrated into the teams. Yes. And And whenever we're feeling like there's confusion or there's chaos or they're stepping on toes and they're starting to get right, Mm -hmm. we just boil it down to, do you have clarity on roles and responsibilities Yeah. for one, right? Just does everybody know what they're responsible for and what their roles are and know what everybody else is because that alone can eliminate so much wasted time and nitpicky, right? The arguments or the assumptions and that sort of thing. So I, I love this concept of clarity because exactly what you said, I think it's so undervalued and it's so fundamental, you know, just get clear, communicate it.
0: Right. Well, you know, I, I I think, I think a lot of times we assume clarity. Yeah. Right. As leaders, you know, we have an idea about where we want to go and it's reasonably clear in our heads. And we assume that everybody else is right where we are um and and I don't think that's always the case. I don't think it's always the case that we're as clear as we think we are.
2: oh, I agree with that one hundred percent and and this is why actually having thought partners to talk to, and I think one of the important roles, like uh based on the HR professionals I have worked with, that role of being a thought partner to your business to your business partners because I think you like, yeah, they're they're running the business and you are the expert at h R, but the thing is is that having someone to talk to the moment you have to put it into language out loud, yeah. yes. you realize how unclear it is <laughs> that it's not clear. up here. Like you can't
3: even make a coherent sentence with me about <laughs> what you're talking about. Therefore, yes.
2: Your team is so lost right now. Yeah. But I recommend that not as an exercise in embarrassment, but no. actually the act of, <laughs> yeah. but the act of then having like an empathetic listener who like, is probably well, I think you guys are well tuned to listen for what's going to be clear to a team, what might not be clear, what are questions they might ask, like mm-hmm. having that empathetic kind of mindset and um and then practicing talking it is a way to actually work towards clarity yes and yes. having a really good foil. So I just I'm just saying this is like a wonderful gift I think that you probably are all giving your business partners like every day. The the
3: other thing that dovetails out of that is change management. Like thinking about, okay, that direction is gonna shake shit up. Like you're not (laughs) recognizing, and so let's back up and have a plan Mm -hmm. instead of tripping into that and going, whoops.
0: (laughs) And they're like, but Lori, it just makes sense. Everybody will get it. Yeah. No. Yeah. Wrong answer. (laughs) I love that. Brutal focus. Right. So that's the takeaway here, TCB folks. Brutal focus when you're employing these performance science ideas into your your work programs. Um, I want to flip it, Carla, because, you know, we're like you, we all want to learn, grow and get better. How do we use these performance science concepts to help ourselves get better? I understand Mm -hmm. you have a few tools that you use with your clients.
2: Yes. Okay. Well, I think one of the first things that's important to do like for yourselves is, um, is to, I, I call like the brutal focus exercise and I often call it the one, three, nine tool, but I think it's fine to just be one, three, it can be really simple. So, um, it's, it's where you're going to ask yourself those two questions, like the, what do I want? And okay. If that's what I want, what's most important I find it's often helpful with the, what do I want question to also write down the, what do I want, but I don't think I can have. And the, mm. what do I feel like someone else wants me to want? <laughs> and um, what do I really want, but I just don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and so this is, I call this the magic wand question. So just say like, you have a magic wand. You can have whatever you want. Like, what is it? You, oh, perfect. Yes. You do have
0: a magic wand.
2: We have a magic wand. And then ask yourself, okay, but do, do I really want that? Like, <laughs> because, but it's it's very helpful to kind of, uh, also, what would someone who knows me and loves me say that I want? Um,
0: That's a fantastic question.
2: So yeah. these are just other ways to get at it. And, um, and it's a question to ask yourself over time. So this doesn't have to be a one-time exercise, but it's kind of a nice journaling thing. Um, you can also start with something smaller. If there's a piece of like, whatever is happening in your life or in your work that you're like, you could just choose that piece and say, what do I want in this area? And I find that's a more approachable way to go after it too. Um, then, and also I like recommend doing this like on a post-it now I have really big post-its, but like, I just <laughs> I think gonna it say, takes. You have either
0: really small hands or big post-its there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I just think it takes some of the pressure off than if you're in your like really nice hard bound, like artistic mm. notebook. Um, that's just me. But so, um, then I like to make Do the big brain dump of like, what is everything that might be important for that, including the stuff I feel like I should do the stuff everybody else is doing, you know, some of that stuff, we're going to ultimately weed that out, but um, I just like to make a list I find making the brain dump is the easiest way to start. And, um, you know, what would a really smart people say was smart person say was most important to this? Uh, Is there someone I know who was really successful at this? What did they do? What were they doing? Um, and this is basically like what I was doing in fifth grade, because (laughs) I was like looking around being like, well, how'd they get that? Or like, well, why are they so good (laughs) anyways? But these are the kinds of questions that are really useful to just ask over and over again, or where could I learn about that? If I'm not totally sure what's most important for that, who might be a good resource? What is a book I could read? Um, like, I hear there's this really good book, You, Me, We, like, Me, You, We. Oh, I screwed it up. I knew I was going to screw it up.
0: <laughs> you know, That's I would really edit really that out. <laughs> I would edit that out, but I love, I love the just owning it, right? You just stepped <laughs> right in and owned that shit. So I'm leaving that in. Yes, You, Me, We. It's a great book.
2: Yep. There we go. Okay. I'll get to that in my next tool. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Called owning it. (laughs) So, all right. Um, so those are some of the questions you can ask yourself, make the big laundry list. Then what I recommend is start starting to like cross stuff off that you're like, honestly, like that's kind of extraneous. That's a detail that's in the weeds. I also think like grouping things by themes becomes mm-hmm. really important. So saying these kind of things are related. What are they related to? Um, and then I'm ultimately our goal is to try and pick like what are the three like biggest drivers? If you had to really like fundamentally bring it down, like if you only had four hours to work on it, where would you be focusing that energy? And those are then the things that I recommend building um kind of a, I call this a 90, 90, 90 tool off of. And this is like how we actually get started on big stuff. So we need some strategic direction. That's what we just did. We just said, what are we thinking about? Like where do we want to go? And then we did some strategy. I know post-it note strategy here. Mm -hmm. Post note strategy is what's really most important for that. Okay. Now I've got some areas that I think are the things that would give me the biggest impact for my time investment or my money investment. So that's our strategy. We got a post-it note strategy. Next We have to build momentum for ourselves. And Mm -hmm. I think building momentum and a sense of self efficacy is one of the biggest things we can teach people how to do, particularly Mm -hmm. when we're going after something that feels uncertain or that we haven't done before Mm -hmm. um, or that we don't feel confident about. And it's hard. It is. And I think I always recommend looking at those areas, picking the smallest thing i mm-hmm. I'm thinking kind of often it's helpful like daily weekly basis to say what would it look like to work on that and start to compound my way towards it. So I recommend most uh, there are some things that yeah are kind of sprints so you could do them in a month but often these things are things that are going to take time. And it's the would, 90 90 90. Yeah. <laughs> so the first 90 refers to the fact that like like most of the time people don't get started. So if you can be in the 10% <laughs> that actually starts <laughs> and you pick something and just do it. Don't worry if you've got it correct. Like just, yeah. just pick something and and do start. The second 90 refers to like, after that, about 90% of people don't keep going. And so like figuring out the right size thing that you can be like sustained, like you can sustain it is mm-hmm. really important because that's part of what's building that habit for you. <laughs> and also, you can set up systems to help you sustain. So, if you have a peer or a supervisor or someone who can like wants to do it with you, like maybe you have accountability a buddy, accountability buddy can help you sustain. Um, sometimes you can do something like, nope, that alarm's going to go off at five a.m. every morning. I've got it on auto set, and I took off the like off button. So, and it's Carla
0: just- knows I'm going to get up and do it. <laughs> and if I don't, I have to tell her.
2: Yes, exactly. So there's. <laughs> Um, you know, sometimes you hire someone to help you, right? Yeah. Like a, a coach or a trainer, like these things work too. So that's yeah. second ninety. Third ninety is only after you've gotten yourself going and you're just sustaining it, don't worry about improving it until you've oh. actually had some time to learn.
0: Like, I love the taking the pressure off yourself bit. Just do. Just do. <laughs> yeah, because I think a lot of us we once we once we achieve something, there's this implicit expectation that we're just going to be really good at it. And yeah, it may be new. And if it's new, chances are, I'm going to screw it up. And that's okay.
2: Yeah. Or feeling like you have to, like your learning curve has to like, immediately go like this. And I find there's so much good stuff that's happening in the, no, just keep doing what you're doing. And like, you can add something later, or you can, um, you may over time, Uh, learn some nuances of things, and then be like, I'm actually going to do this thing different. But if you start that right away, I find that's one of the biggest like habit killers out there. Mm.
0: You know, as a as a tiny habits certified coach, right, a lot of the things that you're saying here kind of resonate with BJ Fogg's work and, and what he does just about getting those habits instantiated and making them patterns. Um, chunking it down to these little things and giving yourself the the space to do that is is such a fantastic way to start.
3: I just wanted to mention something that you said about self-efficacy and I did did some research for a presentation that I gave around burnout Mm -hmm. and one of the studies found that one of the um, sort of things to do for yourself to help counteract right not waiting for somebody else to make things awesome but what can I can take control of if I'm dealing with burnout and finding something for that I can control right something that I know I'm doing I'm making the choices about this I'm moving this forward that that can actually counteract experiences of burnout pretty significantly so I I just because you'd mentioned that, you know, as a, as another tie into some of these things, I found that to be, you know, that's what I learned. A,
2: yeah. A great tie-on and I totally agree. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. I, I love it. So we got we've got the brutal focus exercise or the one three nine. We've got the 90, 90, 90. That's really good stuff. Is there anything else you would add to that list for our listeners today?
2: One, one more thing, and I think this also helps with, uh, it helps with growth and development. It also helps with burnout. Um, I, I like to think about running good experiments. So I think- Because of works. course
0: you do, scientists.
2: <laughs> I know, I know <laughs> such a geek. <laughs> um, I, and I think it it flows as a really great kind of mindset adjunct to these two tools we just talked about and okay. because inevitably at multiple moments when you're doing this you're going to run into like well i don't know <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so i love having the question and i actually call it kind of having like like an experimental like mindset and that is because when we picture something as running an experiment like in science we don't be like oh your hypothesis wasn't correct like you were wrong <laughs> <But> like <laughs> we're like oh, no, the best experiments were built so that you would learn something either way. And if you're not running hey. experiments that way, like that that wasn't good. Um, and my advisor definitely was like <laughs> good at teaching me that. So um, I love thinking about things as running experiments because it puts us in a learning mindset versus a right or wrong mindset. Um, and it gives us room to try stuff and, and think about it. And um, my three parts of, Um, if you're going to run an experiment and you want to approach something this way, I have sort of three parts of it. Uh, Number one, um, run experiments where like run experiments for things where it really matters, like what you want to learn. Like sometimes you just need to decide to just do something, but like try to learn something that like really matters um, just to conserve your time and energy. Number two, I think it's always great to make sure that the upside way out, outweighs the downside and, Um, because then you're not gonna be stressed about it. Uh, if you're, if you feel you're taking too big a risk, it kind of takes, um, the joy and the benefit out of the experimental mindset. (laughs) And then, um, the last thing is, I think it's always good to think about like, how will I know if it's working? How do I set this up so I can actually interpret the results of it? So I just think it's, and also I think it's fun now I'm a scientist and I, I love that stuff. So, but to me, it actually puts me in a mindset of like, all this uncertainty that I might see, I'm like, oh, that becomes way more fun Mm
1: -hmm.
2: versus, ah, it's uncertain and I'm probably going to make the wrong choice.
1: Whoops. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Carla. I want to open it up to questions because I know you've got a hard stop at top of the hour. Um, But before we do that, can you let everybody know how they find you if they want to learn more about you, about FAXA, about performance Mm -hmm. science in general?
2: Happy to. Um, so I am on LinkedIn, Carla-Fowler, and you can follow me there. I post um, podcast conversations that I'm a part of are going up there and probably more things in the future. And um, feel free, drop me a note. It's really helpful for me to like have context of where people are coming from. So I always really appreciate that. Um,
0: yeah, just then, tell her that it was the best podcast she was ever on. That's how you know her?
2: I will know. And I will know it was this one. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, and then my website is at THAXA.com. That's T-H-A-X-A. And that's my coaching website for my practice. And um, I am always excited to, I'm always looking for new clients and um, excited to have conversations with people about that. So if your interest is kind of more in that realm, that's a great place to find me. And um, probably will be more stuff on there in the future as well. So
0: Awesome. All right, folks. Who has questions for Carla and performance science? I do. I, have I know, <laughs> I know Ruby does. Like, I know <laughs> no, she's I'm like, been oh, waiting God, for this moment.
2: This. I love all of this. Um, I just so appreciate the, the work you do in the world, Carla. Um, and I'm thinking about this from a, a coaching perspective. What's your kind of starting point for people who are have a real fear of failure or that perfection mindset. Cause I feel like Mm. that's a common obstacle Mm. um, where people are scared of making a mistake and it kind of gets to what you were just talking about, but I was just wondering like, how do you crack that door open with them and start getting Mm. them into that growth, like experimental curious mindset? Yeah, no, this is a, this is a great question. And it it's obviously a little different for every person, but some things, but here's some things that I think, Often work. I actually have found the running an experiment Mm. resonates a lot. I don't know if it's because Mm -hmm. people are like, ooh, science. I don't don't know. Like she's smart. I don't know. But it but I do think it actually is a mindset shift. And we we know when we frame words differently, we can like have big impacts um, with what seems like a small intervention, right? That's one thing. The other thing is I often give some other points of view to like sometimes say. Hey, um, well, I ask a lot about like, how does it feel to Mm. be being the way, like Mm -hmm. you feel like you need to be like, is it fun? Um, is it, it well, what (laughs) what feels good about it? What doesn't feel good about it? Like what, what are some of the costs of that? So that's often a good dialogue. Um, I think, uh, a last dialogue that's helpful and uh, it has worked really well for me because I absolutely have those tendencies I continually work against those is I think about how fast can I go because I get a certain amount of time on the like on the earth and um when when mm. I say fast I don't mean like that I want to sprint all the time but it's like how how much that is like meaningful and that I'm present for can can I be a part of in the time that I have mm. and what I've realized is that and I'll just speak for myself but when I'm trying to do things at like the 99th percentile that um and holding on to them too tightly uh, mm-hmm. That actually, I get stuck trying to master something when it is time to move on to the next thing. Like I am mm. good enough at that thing, and it is time to move forwards, um, mm. and experience something new. Yeah. But the pace we can move at, um, and our experience of like new achievements, new growth of ourselves, can get really stagnated by that. And sometimes when we can like even um, drawing the visual of it can mm. really help, like get it in people's brains. Um, so like you could even say, draw the picture of what it feels like your trajectory looks like right now and mm. draw a picture of mm. like, what would seem better and what might that drawing yeah. represent. So there's some yeah. interesting things in there. That
0: yeah. God. I could spend all evening talking about this stuff. <laughs>
2: yes.
3: I want to be, I want
0: to be respectful of your commitments, Carla, because I know you have two minutes. Oh. Um, thank you so much for being here today. Big ups, <laughs> big ups for Carla. Thank you so much. Um, if you have a question that you didn't get to ask, Carla, is it okay if they just connect with you on LinkedIn or email I would, you?
2: I'd love that. That'd be great. Okay. Yes. Awesome. And this has been so fun. I really appreciate the group. Thank you for your time. We're, and it's I, fun to be a think, part of this.
0: I think we're <laughs> going to have to have a part two. So let's figure that out. Let's yep. do, let's, let's get awesome. together again in the new year and let's go a little bit deeper because I think there's a lot more to uncover here. Carla, you've been awesome. I know you need to go, go when you need to go. In the meantime, we're gonna do our funny things, our good feels and our cocktails. Funny thing number one today, uh, dog brings stick inside. Me, no, that belongs outside. Me at Christmas time brings entire tree inside. Dog, what (laughs) the actual shit is
3: this?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Funny thing number two, a hero. Man who was fired for refusing to participate in after work drinks and team building activities Wins the legal right not to be fun at work. He got fired. <laughs> and then he sued and he was, One. he has now has the legal right to not be the fun guy. But I think number three, no matter how small you try to make that unsubscribe at the bottom of an email. I, love yes. <laughs> I think we can all relate um this one is a world cup funny um i've been super into the world cup and and watching it i i watched today um (laughs) this made me laugh can't be a usa fan when we play another country it's too easy to own us you you try to trash talk a british guy and he says like "Oi, go pay your deductible (laughs) mate it's over at that point (laughs) (laughs) that's funny (laughs) And if any of you saw the viral photo of Elon Musk's nightstand with his four cans of caffeine-free Diet Coke—really, uh, caffeine-free Diet Coke—his mm-hmm. his cosplay gun with no trigger, uh, somebody one-upped him here. You ready? This is my bedside table.
3: <laughs> Whoa, George Costanza. <laughs>
0: Ruby and I, Ruby and I did a a session recently and there was a guy in there and Ruby, we got out of the session and she was like, that dude is George Costanza. (laughs)
3: Literally. (laughs) literally.
0: And then she, she reminded me and I was like, oh, he is George Costanza. My favorite funny thing today, Volkswagen Italy, please never change your Instagram handle. Somebody read that word for me at the top of the... (laughs) Mm. Oh, It's not Volkswagen Italia. It's Volkswagen (laughs) Italia, everybody. Today's Good Feel story is all about relationships.
2: There are few things in life like the power of friendship. They can bring you joy in the best of times and help you heal during the difficult ones. Here's CBS's Steve Hartman on the road.
1: 64-year-old Betty Strang of Greenfield, Wisconsin is getting ready for an anniversary. The anniversary of a terrible day she can neither forget nor remember. I don't remember
0: anything from that day.
1: One year ago, a red SUV tore through a Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, killing six and injuring more than 60 others, including Betty Strang, who suffered a traumatic brain injury. Betty was part of a dance team called the Milwaukee Dancing Grannies, which lost three members that day, but gained something too.
0: When I got home from the hospital, I know I emailed the grannies to say I was home and they were so supportive, like, oh, thank you. You We
1: assembled a few of the dancers and found a bond.
0: I knew they were all there for me.
1: Almost like family. And that's what kept me sane. I don't think we could have done it without each other. I really don't. Betty, I'm so glad you're back with us. By March, the grannies were already practicing again.
2: Still recovering, but I'm so happy to be here.
1: And this week, they returned to walk the same street in the same parade. For some members like Betty, who at one point couldn't imagine leaving the house, this coming out was an absolute triumph. But for all members, the parade was also a chance to send a message, a message to anyone along the route who might be marching down a comeback trail of their own. Think about the grannies. They came back, I can too. I planned to dance with the grannies forever.
0: It's a group of feisty women here, so.
1: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> feisty role models of resilience. So stop! Who turned out to be much tougher than their pom poms would imply. Steve Hartman CBS news. Oh, Steve
0: Hartman. You kill me, my friend.
3: Feisty women,
0: the dancing grannies. I loved it. Today's semi-quarantine cocktail is you're a mean one. It's a riff on a cocktail called the Grinch, which when Lori's kids said they were going to watch it, I was like, that is perfect. That's amazing. (laughs) You're going to need one marathon, Florida police officer, a little bit of Maturi liquor. Remember those Midori cocktails when you were in college, you're like, Oh, this is really sweet. I could drink a lot of this and then feel really terrible tomorrow. (laughs) You're going to need a radar speed trap, an ounce of clear rum, a school zone, some Sprite or seven up. And if you were driving five miles or less above the speed limit in that school zone, you got a choice. You'll need a Maraschino cherry. Your, Your choice was you can get a ticket or you can get an onion presented by the Grinch. He would walk up to your car and tell you, you did a bad thing and gave you an onion. And some people ate the onion like an apple right there in front of the Grinch. That's weird. (laughs) Happy holidays, everybody. So next week we're pretty much off, but I think I want to come here and hang out with anybody that wants to hang out. We won't record the show but maybe we'll play quiplash maybe we'll right i don't know i don't know maybe we'll be confronted with another question from somebody like laurel that laurie has to answer that's really uncomfortable in a work context (laughs) (laughs) laurel doesn't remember but laurie does and if you Laurel, if you come next week, we'll remind you of exactly what that was. You guys, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks to Carla. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to Carla Fowler. She was amazing. I can't wait to continue that conversation. If you don't make it next week, happy holidays. And we will see you in 2023. Peace out.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your
0: friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info That's skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again and remember, you've always got friends at The Corporate Bartender.